Well, good morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Jonathan. Um, I'm one of the members here, and I'm just really excited to be up here and to um, dive into Genesis 15 with you this morning. Um, but before that, I would really just love to pray and ask for God's help. So would you just join me? Father, Father, we do just come to you, and we're looking to you to be satisfying for us and to be what we need. God, it is so often that we find ourselves in spots that are uncomfortable and, and situations that are out of the norm or not where we thought that we would be. And God, we just come to you today and admit all those things. And God, we're asking for you to do what you do. Be kind. Reassure us. Give us vision and understanding for what you're doing in us and how you intend to shape what we have, what, we, what you have made us to be, and to be part of a masterpiece. God, give us help as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, a lot of you guys know that a couple weeks ago, uh, Amanda, my wife, and I um, went uh, on a trip to Italy. I've got a little bit of ringing. Is that okay? Um, and uh, we were celebrating our 15th anniversary. Uh, we've been looking forward to that for a while. Uh, and and uh, we just had a really great time, except for just a little portion at the end. Some of you already know about that. You can ask about that later if you want. But we visited Rome and Venice and Milan, uh, but I think our favorite city was Florence, and each of the cities has something kind of unique and different about that city. Um, for Florence, it's well-known, especially because of the art there. In fact, one of the most amazing things that we saw was the statue of David. Uh, David was a statue that was uh, sculpted by Michelangelo about 500 years ago. It's out of a solid piece of marble. And I don't know if you have a couple of those pictures. I want, just want to pop it up. So this is a picture of the hand. And I just want to just draw your attention. Like, the thing is unbelievable, right? I, I don't know if you realize this, but the statue of David is 17 feet tall. So it's not like as tall as me. It's like as tall as a full-grown giraffe. So it's massive, but the, the thing is, it's not just the size of the thing that's impressive, it's the detail. So here you see like toes, and, you, and I don't know if you can see or not, but there are like, there are veins and cuticles and, you know, hangnails on his, on, on, uh, his toenails. And, um, and then go to that next one, this kind of gives you a feel for the size. So that's the head, and then that person is a real life person right beside him. And it's just massive, but the detail is unbelievable. Now, I can imagine if, Michelang if we were there with Michelangelo and he's looking at this big, tall block of marble and he says, dude, this thing is going to be awesome. It's gonna, this is going to be talked about for ages. And in his mind, he's got something that he knows what this is going to be. But, you know, me or, or you, or, we're standing there and we're like, you haven't even started it. Or you haven't finished the feet. In fact, this block of marble has been abandoned by most artists. Well, as we meet Genesis 15 today, there's something similar happening. Um, God 
is interrupting Moses' world. And he comes in and he says, chapter 15, verse 1, if you want to go and put that up there. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So the greetings of God come to Abram to say, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your divine guardian. Your reward will be very great. Not just a little good, not just great, but very great. And I think that the way that God is coming here is kind of like an excited Michelangelo, right? Like he's coming and he says, Abram, I've got this plan. It's going to be awesome. I know that you don't know everything about my plan. You don't know exactly where we're going. You don't know the full story, but I don't want you to be afraid. I'm doing something awesome. Now, Abram, this isn't the first time that Abram has heard promises from God or, Abram te- or God telling things to him. But what we see here in, this, in these next couple of verses is that this is the first time that Abram is doing something more than just acting. You know? So God said, hey, I want you to go to this land, and Abram went. But here, God's saying, I've got something to tell you. And Abram says, okay, I've got some questions. And so for the first time, Abram is speaking back to God in Genesis. He trusted God, but he has questions. He needs a conversation. In fact, this whole passage is basically a conversation between God and Abram. So verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. But Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. You know, when kids think something is really important, it'll come up over and over again, especially like if you're on a you know, long car ride, you know, here in the back seat. What do they say? Are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Um, and I think Abram has something really heavy on his mind also. And I think he's about to explain what that is. He says, what will you give me? I continue childless. God had promised that he would have descendants like sand, huge numbers, but he didn't even have a single kid. And it's like, God, how are you going to do this? I do not see the path forward. This is, I know you think this is going to be awesome, but I just don't see it yet. And have you ever felt that way before? I think for some of you, it may feel like the path of blessing in your life ended a long time ago. You remember how maybe you stumbled into pornography in junior high, or how you smoked something your buddy handed to you in high school that pretty much ruined your life. Or maybe through no fault of your own, you have experienced terrible trauma caused by people and circumstances outside of your control. And now years later, you look at your life and you just think this is a mess. Others of you, you became a Christian a long time ago and you sought to walk faithfully with him. But life has just not gone as you thought it was supposed to. Marriage It's harder than what you thought it would be. Maybe you're not as good a husband as you thought you were. You believe your job would pay you more, but getting ahead just seems like 
constant roadblocks, both from external and even internal forces, habits and things that make you uh, choose bad decisions. If you look at the status of your life and it just seems like all I'm seeing is just a jagged rock, chipped piece of marble, lacking purpose, beauty, hard to find a way out. Wherever this is in your life, I I think that God has something to say to us here. Because I think that's a little bit how Abram's feeling. Is, I don't see the road here, God. So I think this is part of how um, God responds to Abram. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram had questions, but God didn't pour out anger on Abram because he had questions. Instead, he was kind to him. He said, Abram, come here. Look up at the sky. Look at the stars. He reassured Abram of the promise that he had made. So many kids, so many descendants that they won't be able to be numbered. See, what Abram doesn't know is that the miracle is part of the story. What God intends to do, this being unsure And the probability and the unlikely nature of it is part of what makes it a good story. So is it wrong for Abram to doubt God here? I think that's a question that maybe even Moses... So in case you uh, have forgotten, Moses is the one who's writing these things down. And he's writing them for the people of Israel who are getting ready to go into the promised land. And I think that it would have been likely that as they were reading this, they would have asked the question, is this okay? Can we do that? we doubt God? But what, so I think this verse six, it says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I think that that's something that is being used to communicate that, hey, like this is the first time Abram's talking. He's coming with questions, but this is coming from a place of he is believing the Lord. This isn't the first time that Abram is believing God, but it is a reassurance that He's coming, he's doing this in faith. He's trusting God. He recognizes, God, I don't understand this, but I believe you. And it says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this concept of righteousness, sometimes that's a hard hard thing to get what what that is. Righteousness, I think here has a lot to do with what does it mean for you to be right with God? This passage right here, this and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And the, the New Testament comes back to it over and over. And there's a reason for that. And I think that it's because it reveals something that a lot of people have confused over the years. Being right with God is not about having everything in place perfectly all the time. It's not perfect obedience to all God's laws that lets you be on God's good side. It's by trusting him. Even in your questions, even in your doubts, 
It's having trust in God as the foundation of your relationship and in the background of all your questions, your concerns, the things that are hard in your life. So this trusting, Abram has been trusting God and he's continuing to trust God. He's walking in faith. And God says, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I don't, not expecting there to be this perfect obedience all the time. You're human and I'm going to deal with that lack of perfection. He's not scared of your questions, but he does want you to trust him. His plan is big and beautiful. And you're not going to get to see it all right away. At least not this side of heaven. So in 2007, uh, after I finished seminary, Amanda and I made the decision to move back to my hometown in Kansas City uh, to start a missions training school for college students. And part of this training would include a six-week overseas trip where students would live in college dorm rooms, uh, take language classes, and see conversations with people about Jesus and pray for the city. So we had raised financial support and had um, made all these extensive plans. Um, and then as a surprise, about a year before we were supposed to, you know, officially launch this school, um, we found out that Amanda was pregnant. And we had been married a little more than a year, and we're looking forward to living out a passion for the glory of God by building this school. But in none of those plans was there a baby. Now, don't get us wrong, we love children, but because of God's timing and the details of Abby, our immediate response was, God, why? Is this really a good time for this? Couldn't this have happened, like, you know, maybe in a few years? That would maybe be better. There's so much to do now. So we, but we said, okay, Lord, we accept. So we began to pray and think about what this meant to us. We talked about Amanda, you know, staying behind for the trip portion, or we talked about leaving Abby in the U.S. with family, but we finally decided that it would be best to just take her with us, and so that's what we did. And there's a long story that I could tell here that wouldn't take up more than what we have here this morning, but suffice it to say, taking Abby was one of the best decisions that we ever made, one of the best things that God could have done for us, for two reasons, mainly. You know, ministry opportunities uh, were not limited, but became more numerous because of Abby. So we walked into a place, and, and there were a, a whole segment of the population that missionaries couldn't talk to. They, for some reason, they were just resistant to anyone. But the fact that we, short-term people, showed up with a little white American baby, all of a sudden, you know, all these, you know, kind of older Native women would just flock to us because they wanted to see this little baby. And so all of a sudden, the avenue became uh, much more clear about what God was doing here. And then second, you know, as we, we had, um, you know, rather than staying in the dorms, which is kind of what we thought we would be doing, although all the students were staying in the dorms, we thought we would too. But instead, we were in kind of family housing. The family housing, there's no, there's not any, there's not, other English speakers, and we were kind of forced to be isolated in many respects. And we found ourselves, you know, especially in the evenings where it was just us. And one of the best things that happened to our marriage were the conversations that happened in those moments we were forced to be together. 
you know, we hadn't been married that long, and we had all kinds of issues early on in our marriage, but it was something that was uh, profoundly shaping and still affects our marriage today. So just like we didn't see the full range of what God was doing, and I, and I think there was probably more happening than I, you know, I'm even, you know, talking about right there. Like, there's, there is a lot more there, I'm sure. But just like we didn't see the full range of what God was doing, Abram didn't see what God was doing either. But God was patient with him. He was reassuring and eager to demonstrate that he is faithful to keep his promises and not just faithful, but he has the power to do it. Let's look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he brought him all these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So when Abram asked about his descendants, God said, look at the stars. When Abram asked how he would know that the land was his, God said to bring a bunch of animals. He said, a cow, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. So the text doesn't explain a lot here, but we know from history some things that are happening. We know that Abram knew what was going on too because God didn't tell him to cut the animals, but he did. He cut the animals in half and set them apart from each other. And I think what was happening here is that God was asking him to prepare a covenant ceremony. A covenant ceremony. You know, in today's world, we do things with contracts on paper. You know, we sign them. So, like, if you purchase a car, you sign a purchase agreement, right? And if you, you know, some jobs require a contract. You sign on the contract, and they say, well, we're going to give you money, and you're going to give us work. If you don't work, then we're not giving you any money. And likewise, you can say, well, if you're not giving me money, then I'm not going to work, right? So this is, it's, it's a deal. It's a contract. It's an agreement about what it looks like for you to partner together to go forward, Okay. So this, a covenant ceremony, is an ancient agreement. It's an ancient contract. But it's a little bit different because there, the penalties for disobeying the contract are more severe. Okay, so essentially what you're doing, so they, they would take the animals, they would set them aside, and then the two parties would be expected to walk in between the cut halves of the animals, right? And what they're saying when they walk through them is, is that, hey, if I don't fulfill my vow, if I don't do what I'm promising, what I'm committing to here, then you can do to me what you did to these animals, right? Severe. This is a, this is a serious statement. It's a contract with a death penalty attached to it. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So it's important, again, to remember who is this story being told to originally. It's the people of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land, and they needed this as a reminder that this prophecy came to Abram 400 years before they were getting ready to go into the land. You know, Abram wasn't sure how he was going to have descendants. They're not sure how they're going to walk into the land and take it. But Abram wasn't sure how this was going to happen. But they can look back and they say, well, it, it was, there's no way that this was going to happen. And look at us now, 2.4 million people getting ready to go in. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of descendants. God must know what he's doing, right? It's pointing back to the faithfulness of God, God's ability to keep his promise. And God had promised not just descendants, but land. So here they were. What would that do to you if you were an Israelite? I think I'd be confident. I'd be ready to go forward. Not in my ability to conquer personally, but, my ability, but God's ability. God's ability to rescue, provide, and to powerfully act on my behalf. I think this is what God is saying to him. Don't forget my promises. Don't forget what I said. I'm doing something awesome. Abram's reward is going to be very great. Yes, Abram's dead, but his reward is going to be very great, and it's just starting. Remember, I am your shield. Don't be afraid. The fact that you're standing here on the edge of the promised land means I will follow through on the promises that I make. I think that's so interesting. The promises that God is making, God makes so far in advance so that no one at the time of receiving the promise actually gets to experience the benefit, at least not from like a human perspective, maybe from heaven they're seeing it. But Abram, he had one kid, right? One kid that was the child of promise. And whereas, and, and, but then, and then he died, but it's 2.4 million descendants or you know, here at this time, or at this time, time frame um, of walking into the land. So God's plan is just much bigger. And the promises that, that you see or you read, they're just, they're in infancy. Let's look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, the Kinesiites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So what's happened here is, is really striking. And I don't know if you guys caught it or not, but, so what passes in between the animals? Remember, they're supposed to walk through the, the animals. You have a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Now, if you were the people of Israel, I think that what you would have thought about is, hey, I've seen this before. I know what he's talking about. Because we know in the Exodus, you know, when, when they, were, they were camped in a place, 
and they would have this pillar of smoke that, that they would follow during the day. And then at night, it was a pillar of fire. So they have this cloud by day, fire by night. This was representative of God's presence. God's presence was leading them. They were following God, and they would say, God's going somewhere else. It's time to go that direction. And so what this is representing, what we're seeing, is that God himself has stepped down and is walking through the animal halves. Which, by the way, a lot of times the superior person doesn't walk through the halves. A lot of times it's the inferior person that walks through the halves. So it was shocking that, like, the superior, God himself is walking through the halves. But did you notice something else? Was there anybody else who walked through the halves? It was just the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. Abram did not pass through the halves. So who was taking on all the responsibility to fulfill promises and to accept punishment for failure? Just the Lord. It wasn't Abram. This was a one-way promise, not dependent upon Abram. There was nothing that he was going to be able to do to thwart God's promise. There is no universe where this is not going to happen, Abram. This is going to happen. So this covenant was serious, and God showed that it was serious to him. Are you starting to wonder why is this covenant such a big deal? God was doing more than just promising genetically related physical descendants to Abram. Though Abram and Moses may not have even realized it, God was doing something much bigger. He was building a masterpiece. He was on the canvas of history. He was painting a masterpiece. You know, when God speaks of a very great reward for Abram, I don't think that he's looking out into the future and seeing those 2.4 million people on the edge of the promised land. He's looking a lot further out. He's looking forward to Jesus. In Galatians, it talks about how Jesus is the seed of Abram. Abraham's seed. So down, 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 down the line, we hit Jesus. So it's not just 2.4 million people back here, but it is Jesus. It's not one person with Jesus. This is the avenue whereby we all become part of the Abrahamic people how Abram is part is our father because we have been linked to Jesus. Okay, so if you can imagine, it's kind of like you've got you've got Abram, Abraham, you know, traveling down the line, and we got Jesus. We got these other people here, but here we've got Jesus. And then at Jesus, because of what he does on the cross, he opens a path for not just Jewish people, not just physical descendants to receive the benefits of Abraham's promise, but anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. So it's kind of like a funnel. All of a sudden there's a funnel, and here comes all these people who put their faith in Jesus. 
And that's how we get attached to this. And so when, when God's, you know, God is there with Abram, and he says, look at the stars. He's not thinking of those, that initial people. He's thinking of the billions of people that come and put their faith in Jesus and open wide the floodgates for anyone who trusts in Jesus to be part of the promise that God made to Abram. A promise for blessing and for descendants and for land. You know, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, this, that's what we're talking about. It's looking at him, it's putting your faith in him, and it's being included in him. And you get all the benefits of being part of God's people because, not because you did everything perfectly, not because you fulfilled every law and rule and did everything exactly right, but because you have put your faith in Jesus. You see that back in verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God and he, he credited to him his righteousness. That's what's happening for us. We believe, we believe in Jesus and we share in his righteousness. We get righteousness. We get right standing before God. Not because we've done something right on our own, but because Jesus has done everything right for us. So finally, I just want to address, like, you know, what, is this, what does this mean? If you, let's say, if you, you know, are you, do you feel like Abram? Do you feel, uh, you know, it's easy to get frustrated when we look at our lives and they're just not going like we thought that they would. You know, maybe you look and you see what you're seeing is basically just a chipped, broken piece of marble. It's not beautiful. It seems out of place. But what God sees is something bigger. He has a, master, a masterpiece plan put in place. It's much bigger than what you would have ever thought. And God will uniquely take your history, your placement in the world, the things, the failures, the, the, the challenges in your life, and he intends to take those and shape them to be part of this masterpiece. The masterpiece that God's making isn't going to be less awesome because, you know, you think maybe your piece is not as awesome. It's going to be more awesome because it's not about that. It's about something bigger. You know, sometimes I think we get frustrated because we, because we like we want to be a finger, but we're actually a toe, and so we try to you know we're like stretching, trying to lengthen our lengthen ourselves and you know be more wiry or whatever. But God has in mind that you're actually going to be a toe, and that can be that can be frustrating. And I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> that's kind of a weird analogy. Maybe you guys aren't following me there, but I I th I think that there is a sense in which. We can walk into a spot and be like, God, why, why are you doing it this way? Why have you put me through this trash, this junk? I think God says, I'm faithful. I've got plans for you. I'm going to take all that junk, and it's going to make that toe that finger, that shoulder 
the most beautiful shoulder you've ever seen, the most beautiful finger you've ever seen. You know, so as I think about these things, I, I just, what, is that, what does that mean? I think, number one, I think the life of faith is a wild ride. Sometimes we're called to action, and sometimes we're called to patience. Discerning what God would have you do starts first and foremost with firmly trusting in God, whatever the circumstance. Even in doubts, even in your fears, put your hope in God first. This means come to him as the holder of the answers, the way that Abram did. Come to him as the one faithful to complete what he started. Over and over, you see that New Testament, that he is faithful, certain. You can count on it. He's going to finish. And it's going to be way, it's way bigger, way better than anything that you could imagine. Second, I think peace comes from remembering who it is that you trust. It's the one who makes promises and keeps them. It's the one who has been shaping and sculpting a piece of artwork designed for his glory and for your good. It's the one who passed through the animals, who did something you couldn't do, did something, accomplished something that says, I'm going to do this. It's not about you. Third, walking in faith, it's important to strive to understand what God is doing. Don't be too quick to be frustrated with what God's doing. Step back, study, learn, listen. Trust in God, and then look to put it together. Spend time in your Bible. Spend time thinking. Spend time processing with friends. Spend time trying to understand what God is doing. There is a peace that comes as we renew our mind, as our minds are shaped to see what God's seeing. That God sees this is going to be a masterpiece, even if you can't quite see it. Lastly, you know, Abram looked at Eliezer, right? He said, Eliezer is going to be my heir. This guy is not related to me. And instead of looking at Eliezer, this, you know, what it looks like, you know, what is it? It's like, you know, you see these things like Eliezer would be the thing that you look at when it's, you're assuming that God is not going to fulfill his promise. And I'm saying, instead of looking at Eliezer, let's look at the stars. Let's not focus on what it looks like for God not to fulfill his promise, and let's focus on what it does look like for God to fulfill his promises. So as we come to uh, the table this morning, you know, we're participating in something special that God has given to his people. This table is a proclamation of the message of the gospel that we see even in Genesis 15. It says that all who are connected to Jesus are included into the family of God. There's a reason why we eat the bread and we drink the cup. We are 
in union with Jesus, when we put our faith in him, when we put our trust in him, when we give our life to him, when we say, yes, God, we are in union with him. And so we take these elements and we eat and we drink together. And it's not just any food and drink. It's bread and wine or juice. And I want to read something from read something from Matthew. It talks about Jesus as or this food and this drink. He says to drink all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant. We talked about a covenant, right? What's happening in communion is that we are remembering that there was a covenant. Body broken, blood shed. Fulfilling the requirements of the covenant on our behalf. Jesus fulfilling those requirements. The requirements was perfection. We couldn't do it. Jesus did. He fulfilled those requirements and he also suffered the penalty for the fact that we did not meet the requirements. And so this is bread and juice, wine. It's drawing us into a message of the gospel. And that's also the message that allows us to commune with God. He's opened the door and allowed us to be with him. And we do that as a family. I want to invite the, I think it's the Shiftons up. To, no. If you're, you know, if you're not sure um, as we enter into this time, if you're not sure about what you think about Jesus, it's actually more harmful for you to come and eat and drink of this than if you uh, were to just stay in your seat. And I want to invite you to take some time to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. Have you put your trust fully in Jesus? Are there things in your life where you need, to, you need to surrender to God and say, God, I didn't think this was awesome, but I think it actually might be. Maybe you're really looking for something from God. I invite you to, to ask him. He's not afraid of your questions. For communion, we'll come down the center and um, we'll hand bread to you and uh, then you can pick up juice or the wine, obey your conscience, and then return to your seat, and then we'll take it together.